Going back home after a DNF gives you all the feelings. You're in a mix of many emotions, from sadness to joy to relief to fatigue. And above all, there's this wave of emptiness that covers you entirely. You question yourself so many times. You wonder how things would have turned out if you pushed a little bit more or prepared more. Once you get home, things get back to normal. And of course, you resume your other life routines or plans. But some weight will always be with you at the back of your mind about some unfinished business. You sweep it under the rug, but something somewhere or even someone will remind you about that one time. Welcome back to the About Out podcast. I'm your host, Adiambo Aguru, and here's a continuation of my journey to Kilimanjaro. It's so glad to have you here. And now, let's get to the show. After I returned home, I swore to myself never to go back to Mount Kilimanjaro. The word never. But that one climb was really an eye-opener of how things could either go right or wrong at high altitude. I knew I had to learn again. I knew I had to start again. I also know that I had to take a break and rest it all out, try again. And above all, I had to really believe in mountains again. I had no concrete date to return to Kilimanjaro, but I hoped that one day I will return. It really did not matter how long it took, but now that I knew how the mountain looked like, at least to Kibo Point, I could just improve my training to find me ready. I happened to have many friends in the adventure community, and 2022 really had me at my peak with back-to-back climbs and a bit of running. So, the invites never ended. I kept on hiking. My first climb to Kili was around September 2021. And by the time I was coming back, September, October, November, December, for the rest of the year, I took a little break. Then I returned to the trails as a normal hiker. I didn't have any specific training in mind. But that first instance and experience at Kilimanjaro really made me appreciate the trails back home more. Kilimanjaro gave me PTSD for the first time. Um, I only did six hikes for the rest of the year, which is so strange of me because there's so much I can do in three months. But the fa- my first time on the mountain pushed me that the only number of hikes I could clock within that year, three months was six hikes. And I think that was okay then. 2022 came with some good energy and resolutions. It was time to ditch my sorry story. You can only cry for a long time and almost doesn't count. At least to me, it doesn't count. And I had to really get back to work. If my sole intention was to go back to the mountains, I was still working an 8 to 5 at that time. I used to work from Monday to Saturday. So the only days I had to hike was all Sundays of the month. To myself, I was a beginner. My mind was open and all I had to do internally was extend that openness to learning from people who had been to Kilimanjaro before me. This didn't limit it to people who had only been to Kili, but I started looking up to other mountaineers who were way better than me so that I could learn from their experiences. Initially, I used to hike on vibes, like just pack your bags, go to the mountains, have fun, 
But as time progresses and coming to think of this now, I realize how much commitment attracts support from God or the universe, depending on which higher power you believe in. I was able to channel my intentions to what I wanted hiking to do for me. So the year is 2022, January, February, March, and April. Within these four months, I had done 19 hikes. Then, like on a random day at work, I get some leave days. It was like forced leave. I was like, okay, this is a good sign. Forced leave of 10 days. This was the perfect time for me. I go back. I didn't rush to book. I went, looked through my training, looked through the type of climbs I had done. And after that, since January, they did fit. How ready is ready, really? Does one even know that this is it? A lot went on in my mind before I decided to give the same mountain a second shot. I reached out to a Kenyan guide, Sami, who I had hiked with before, and he handled the itinerary for me. Trust me, by that time, I did not want to postpone anything. So it was better, at least for me, to get someone who is good at planning itinerary to do it. I also booked for this trip alone. That was a personal decision that just me, my guides, and the porters. It's costly if you come to think of it, but I really wanted to do this my own way. I knew the route I wanted. Still, I settled on Marangu because I had not really gotten used to sleeping in a tent yet by that time. So the bandas were a good option for me. By the time we were wrapping this up, I had a team of seven mountaineering professionals which makes that eight climbers, including me. How this climb started gave me a sign that it will be a good one. I felt okay. I was a bit easy to, more calm and okay with what the mountain had in store. Our plan was day one, get to Mandara. Day two, Mandara camp to Horombo camp. Day three, Horombo to Kibo. Day four, Kibo to Uhuru and back to Horombo. <laughs> that is the longest day of my climbing life on Kilimanjaro. And day five, Horombo to the final gate via Mandara camp. And that is where the climb ends. Having my own team of guides and porters was one of the best decisions I actually made. It felt easy this time. No surprises. All the treks felt like day hikes. It was sincerely easy. I'm saying this from the bottom of my heart. From my previous episode, if you've listened to part one of my Kilimanjaro climb, my first time to Kili was different. On this one, I felt way better. We made it early to the camps. I was well paced and there was no time anyone passed the lead guide apart from the porters and the chefs. I got to Mandara all smiles, to Horombo more smiles. I wasn't tired really. I had made peace with anything that was going to happen. And by peace, here is what I mean. Making peace meant that I was going to do my best, my very, very best. I will be present on the mountain and enjoy it to the levels it will let me reach. If I felt unwell on any instance, I will allow myself to rest it out. If I feel that I can't go on, I will turn back and come back and try another day. That is tough, but you have to accept it. 
as much as I had a good mountaineering experience, I will listen to my guide and be open about how my body is feeling at any particular time. That was the kind of peace I made. And no, it's not giving up. The journey to Kibo was a bit emotional. I had been on that stretch before, but this time it was different. We got to 4,000 meters onwards and the weather changed a bit. I started feeling some type of way, you know, <laughs> the usual nausea I cast, but I informed my guides that I was feeling like shit. Nausea really fucks you up. Let me just tell you about it. As much as I hate it, if I compare to all other altitude symptoms, unless you're in a very bad shape, nausea is that one thing that has to go. It like really has to go immediately. You feel it. Once I throw up, I am okay. It has improved over time. I'm speaking about 2022 now, but being 2023, close to December, and things have gotten better with time. That I will tell you on another episode. So, once you feel nausea, <laughs> something has to get out. I threw up and we proceeded. Another one after that, and we proceeded. Then I felt better. That was around 10 a.m. because we had clicked 4,000 meters. We left Horombo at 7.37 a.m. and made it to Kibo by noon, seven minutes past noon. Good timing. We were rained on and snowed on a little bit on the way, but I loved how early we made it on time to the next camp because I had time to pack, I had time to sleep, nap, eat, wake up, sleep again, charge my devices, hydrate and pee a lot because I did. <laughs> it happens when you get to that altitude, you hydrate, you you pee a lot because there's, there's the science I will tell you about it later on. So at dinner, the lead and assistant guide came to give us a brief on how the next day was going to be. And I had the wake up time was 11 p.m. At least in my mind, I was ready, but I don't think I was like so, so, so ready, if that makes sense. I requested for at least an extra hour to just wake up. It takes me a while to wake up. That's why I really struggled with my morning runs. But once I'm in it, I'm, I'm okay. But now uh, when they told me 11 p.m. that very same night we had come from Morumbo, I was like, yo, dude, can we just make it like, you know, midday? 11 p.m. was so difficult to process. I didn't know what lay ahead, but in my mind, I think it would be okay if the push started on a new day, like a different date. I slept pretty well on all camps. Of course, there's a bit of shivering, but manageable. But I did really have some very good sleep throughout the night. By 12, 19... On May 5th, 2022, we were beginning our push. The memories are from far distances. A lot happened, let me tell you. Some are a bit blurred, but I remember that we were the only ones doing the summit push via Marangu on that day. It was dark and so cold. Number one again, <laughs> my water froze. My water froze. So, the thing is, I could not even drink it. Anything that went in, poof. Mora, like it could just come out. I was stuck with the lemon concussion. Like, I'm so glad they carried that. 
I didn't tell them about it, but I just realized lemon can save you from a lot or a bit of nausea problems on the mountain. So it was dark, so cold. My water is frozen. I'm stuck with a concussion that <laughs> I think is a good idea to just go on. And the other lesson I learned is carry a battery head torch. Last time I had a, a rechargeable head torch and it died on me. So my battery head torch this time, it didn't die. So if you're asking, did we take breaks? Yes, we did take breaks. A few. On the lower bit, there was no seating. Remember, we started at midnight. So we are walking and you're walking up like in a zigzag, in a zigzag. And at some point, you're so tired, you've thrown up your guts out. And you ask your guide, how far are we? And they're like, uh, is that distance? Because they can't tell you we are close. Because you, you can't beat someone in the middle of the night if close is not close. So they tell you a truth in a way that it's manageable type of truth. So that you cannot be mad <laughs> and be like, but you told me we were so close and now we are far. So... As for the altitude sickness, oh heavens, I threw up till there was nothing left in my my stomach. I think all was left was just intestines and vibes. That's it. The final break that they actually let me sit down on a rock was at 6.03 a.m. The sun was out, it was bright, I was sipping the concussion and all these guys are smiling and happy. I asked them, how do they do it? Like, how do you guys actually do it? And I have never gotten a clear answer. But if I look at then and now, I am starting to learn it through my a bit of my little trail guiding experience. By six, Kili is clearing a bit. You kind of crave for light, you know, because you've been walking through darkness. <laughs> the valley of the shadow of darkness and you just crave for light a little bit of sun too but it's all a game of patience it really tests your patience mawenzi is there so beautiful all the rain from last night you actually see it now it has turned to snow and every fucking thing is beautiful i'm so tired at this time but very happy that i was able to push through 6.51 a.m., I see the Gilman's board and I gasp. It was so unbelievable. I wanted to cry because last time I never even made it close to Gilman's. This was my first time here. I get shown Stella and Uhuru. They're like, Ile ni Stella pale, Ile ni Uhuru, na tunenda Uhuru. So in translation for my non-Swahili peeps, it means... They show you where Stella is from Gilman's and they show you where the summit is so that you brace yourself for what's actually ahead. And I think it's kind of a good thing because some people don't handle surprises too well <laughs> at high altitude. So by the time they actually tell you, you know what you're bracing yourself for. What was going in my head was like, oh, that looks so close in my head that looked very close remember it's like 6:51, getting to seven so and then i said i've come so far 
and it's amazing to be here above 5,000, above 4,000, actually above 5,000 meters. I've been above 4,000. I had been above 4,000 many times. But being above 5,000 at that particular moment was so graceful. And I told myself, I am going to push through. There was no going back. So we went on. By 7.40, we make it to Stella Point. That's like <laughs> an hour and 40 minutes we make it to Stella. Two points done, one to go. The nausea had gone at this time, but I was so tired, guys. Like, I was so tired in a way I have never felt that tired in my mountains life. I could not eat anything. The only liquid I could drink was the concussion. And all of us at that point were drinking it. Saying this is funny, but I think summit bushes are the real climb. By 9 a.m., I was staggering to Huru Peak. High and tired. It is so hard to describe how less than five kilometers can take you a whole freaking eight hours of climbing. Kibo to Uru took me close to nine hours. <laughs> and I am okay with that PR. I'm so much okay because if I think of everything that happened throughout that night, I kind of have great respect for people who do dashes. So... I have time for the conversation where, you know, people say Mount Kenya is uh, harder than Kilimanjaro because <laughs> this would be a good debate. Kilimanjaro to me is tougher than Kenya because let me ask you a few questions. A mountain that is close to 6,000 meters, a mountain that requires nine hours to summit. I no. <laughs> Please tell me about it. I, that's a conversation I'm actually ready to have. There I was, at the rooftop of freaking Africa, with the whole summit to ourselves. It was so magical. Everywhere was white. I have never seen so much snow in my life. It was so, so beautiful. We could see Mount Meru from a distance with its peak just shining above the clouds. Oh my God, I had my moment. I wanted to cry. I could not, but it was so unbelievable. I just sat down and I was quiet. They gave me time to actually be just quiet and be myself. Then I removed the rain pants and the excessive big jacket that I had and now started posing for photos at the summit. Then to my right, I saw the glacier. I've been seeing people going there and taking photos in dresses but the energy I had left in me, I was like, not today, honey, not today. I knew there was going to be a next time, no matter what. And uh, I didn't want to pass out at the summit. The summit is pretty much the worst place to be dragged out of. I mean, I have seen that before, of people getting dragged out of the summit. And if I used my energy to descend further to the glacier, I think it would have been bad so as a climber, on such instances, you're supposed to be aware of the decisions you make for the safety of probably your entire team, including your guides. Of course, you can be at the assumption that, okay, I have a guide, I'm going to do this. But if you know how your body is feeling at a particular point and know that if you maybe took a step further, it's going to risk the lives uh, of other people who are supposed to take care of you, I think it's okay to be reasonable and look at it and be like, the mountain is going to be there. And 
you you ha- you you can't go to back to a mountain when you're dead the only way is you you can go back you know while you're still alive and enjoy and the mountain is going to be there so i knew there was going to be a next time no matter how long it took or it was going to take me i was going to be back to the mountain soon so I ditched the glacier idea, but it was so beautiful to look at it from a distance. Once you are at a summit, any summit, doesn't matter, Longonot, Ngong Hills, <laughs> Elephant Hill, Namanga Hills, while you're happy at the top of any summit, there is just a sudden wave of, I don't know, melancholy? Or confusion that hits you that you actually have a long way to go <laughs> all the way down and that is what determines you know the success of many climbs it is not you know going up you're only safe on any climb once you're back to base by back to base means totally out of the mountain because anything can happen in between so it hit me while I was at the summit that we had a long way to go. I never frown about the distance that is left, but looking at the entire mountain as we go down to the camp that we came from earlier that morning, it really makes me appreciate how much effort I used and how far I had come throughout the darkness in the night. We made it to Kibo at around noon, guys, noon. We started at midnight if that makes sense. And we were back to Kibo at noon. So that mountain, Banangi, I doubt if it's an easy mountain that requires 12 hours of constant pushing to the summit. By this point, I just wanted to leave and, and go home. Not in like, I'm tired and get me the fuck out of here, no. But I was like, okay, I think I need to go lower and lower because I was tired. And the rule is you can't sleep at, a, at high altitude, like 4,000 meters twice. There are people who do it. I've also done it before. But at that point with my current state, I don't think I would have hacked sleeping at Kibo for an, a second night. It would not be safe for me and my health and for everyone around me. So we left Orombo at around 2 p.m. It was a beautiful stroll back to Horombo. I looked back at the mountain several times and I understood why people summit or why people DNF. By the time I was thinking through all this and journeying through, I still felt healthy. There was no pain really. I wanted to shower so bad by the time I got to Horombo, but my guides really warned me and they were actually very keen that I don't go to the bathroom to shower. Because Horombo is around 3,000, I think 700 meters, if I'm not wrong. And it's a very high place. So it's basically like showering at the summit of Kinangop, <laughs> if that makes sense. At the summit of Kinangop or Elephant Hill Summit or somewhere in between Dragon Teeth and Satima. So that is not a place you would want to shower because if you've got hypothermia after a summit... And you see, they actually take people down either in a jeep. If the jeep can't make it up early, they they have those wheelbarrows that they take people down. And guys, it is not good. 
so i was like okay fine i can stay one more night of no shower and um, it's gonna be okay so no pressure slept well at orombo i really ate i i was in good shape compared to the previous time i was here and by 7:12 a.m. the next day i was set and ready to go home no jeep this time <laughs> no jeep no no signing forms of how i was feeling or anything i was so grateful for that moment in time so we left at exactly 8 a.m. no guide was in front of me again they let me go they just thought like now you you can go <laughs> i felt so happy because i walk very fast while descending from a mountain so they all found me at the gate it rained a bit on the way down but i had my poncho with me that was also another lesson throughout my entire climb my poncho never left my bag Two hours later I was at Mandara took one photo I think one or two photos say hi to people and then I finished my Kilimanjaro affair at the noon of 7th May 2022 I am so glad I tried again I'm so glad I went back I am happier till now that I gave it another shot one never really knows till they take that leap of faith I'm so grateful and proud of myself that I did. I am also in a state of mind where the DNF did happen for a reason because I wouldn't have known how much work it takes to prepare for high altitude mountains and it gave me a renewed perspective that okay the higher you go the more intense it's going to be so there's more work to do if you start thinking about mountains like Everest or any mountain in the Himalayas. So the main lesson was small and big mountains matter they contribute to the final pile it doesn't matter if the mountain is going hills longonoids kilwambogo those small mountains matter training is required and luck does happen sometimes you will get lucky and maybe make it successfully on mountains but the luck runs out it does run out so you have to know genuinely when you're going to call for luck to work for you and you have to also be honest with yourself that you really need to put in the work because you have to earn a summit mountains will show you you know they have a way of dealing with our confidence as well mountains we can really teach you but it's i think it's better to learn from mountains when you've done your best and you're prepared so that the lessons are just add-ons to whatever you already know but it is what it is <laughs> and that's how i submitted kili the second time and i'm so happy to wind up this story i'm so happy to actually share it there's still more that is going to come out of my feed it's hard to do a full recap of kilimanjaro really because It's such an intense climb that by the time a hiker or a climber is sitting down to tell you about it, the details come with time because so much happens in between base and summit and even the traveling before even getting to the mountain. So, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for journey with me. <laughs> We have 30 days till probably the month ends or the year ends or something like that. Um the the air 
wherever the AI, the country is a lot of everything. By whichever way you can find ways to be good to yourself, to be kind to yourself, to be kind to another human being, that's okay. Climb your own mountain, celebrate your joys, celebrate that one kilometer walk, celebrate your 100 kilometer run, celebrate your small mountain, like you are gonna get there, know your why, know your purpose, know your everything. I wish you all the very best in everything that you do. God's blessings, the universe's abundance, and whatever success in everything that you do. As usual, thank you so much for joining with me and see you on the next episode. Be good to yourself. Stay happy. Peace.